0: That song that we all know and love, Leaping Home. Karma karma Chameleon. Beautiful, beautiful babies. Their cover of Black Sabbath's Paranoid. Damn it, don't call me wombo. How much more big Big could these songs be? Wow. This countdown just gets weirder and weirder. Truly the Big Ten. We have living legend Paul Simon coming up with right in here at number five in the 1997 Hottest 100, giving a, a, a spin on the Credence Clearwater Revival classic, Doot Doot Doo, looking out my back door. I said, Where's the fucking song?
1: Yeah, well, that's kind of the whole thing about this one. Number five, Pauline Pants Down. Backdoor Man. Really what we're talking about here is not just a song, we're talking about a a real moment for The Hottest 100. A a cultural
0: phenomenon, if you will. And a Mm. real
1: moment Mm. for Triple J as a whole. So, this is a song by artist Pauline Pantsdown, uh, also known as Simon Hunt, an Australian satirist, and at one point a Senate candidate... Who actually, at that point, had legally changed the name to Pauline Pants Down by deed poll, so that's how it would appear on the actual ballot, which is great. Great little bit of background on that. Prior to um, parodying Pauline Hanson as Pauline Pants Down, he'd successfully lobbied the Office of Film and Literature Classification to remove homosexuality from its list of adult themes. So he's what- a really, really great activist. Um, yeah, even 100%, now, like super, 100%. really, really good. So what you would have heard in that track, which will explain why we can't really play, or maybe it'll become obvious by the next thing that I'm gonna say, <laughs> frankly, is segments of Pauline Hansen's actual speech cut up in order to say such things as I'm a backdoor man, I'm a homosexual, I'm very proud of it, I'm a backdoor man for the Klu Klux Klan. With very horrendous plans, I'm a very caring potato. Very good. (laughs) This was layered over, I guess, kind of like uh, a faux kind of disco beat or whatever. Funnily enough, uh, the the song that it samples uh, was also sampled by the hit Will Smith song, Made in Black. So when you listen to it, it sounds like you're listening to Men in Black with Pauline Hansen kind Which of over Which does the top raise
0: the question, what that stands for? It stands for a lot. Backdoor Man. stood stood st- st- for a lot. B-D-M.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the story goes that this was a promotional single. It was to promote a lip sync performance that Pauline Pantsdown was doing. In drag. In, as- in drag as, as Pauline Hansen For our international listeners, <laughs> uh, Google Pauline Hansen. I guess. Do some do some research yourself. Uh, I we, can't, we can't give you everything. I refuse. So it was released as a single to promote this kind of party. Picked up by Triple J, then played, then became the most requested song that Triple J had. It went absolutely gangbusters, as evidenced by the fact that it's number five, two spots ahead of Radiohead's Paranoid Androids.
2: It was played almost hourly.
1: Yeah, yeah. But only... For about nine days. Then in came the lawyers. Pauline Hansen got word of this whole thing, and there was huge court proceedings where the song was actually ruled to be defamatory. And this was appealed, and then it was ruled again to still be defamatory. There's a lot of stories that have been purported that again, like, and this is just hearsay and rumor, but uh there's been some people who said like the judge has said in private conversations that they were in a hurry that day, yeah, and they just yeah. wanted to make a ruling and kind of get it out of the way. I'm not saying one way or another about that whole thing. L- love legal systems, though, hey. They're just, <laughs> they're just top-notch. They just work for everybody. Yeah. If, if The if, punk if, fan has logged on. <laughs> yeah, if,
3: if, if, if there's any chance that that kind of story could even conceivably be true, we must have a
1: great legal system. <laughs> so, hence, it was, it's injunctioned, the ABC could not play it anymore, and just to be safe, we ourselves have not included it as a sample uh, within this podcast because we're not really sure how that whole thing plays out. But If you would like to hear it, it's very easy to Google. You can find it. So if that's something that you would like in the privacy of your own home, and it is. And it's a it great yeah. song.
2: Yeah. Let's just let's just get that out of well, the way. Well, can't say the away, to be well, honest. <laughs> I, I hate to... I've, I've, I've heard, heard allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, it's a great song.
3: Allegedly, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's quite <laughs> funny and a <yeah, laughs> pretty good satire.
1: The, but, yeah. the the great legal loophole where if you say allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. you can say anything you want. <laughs> I've That's seen it on TV before. The other thing to note is that after this, and this is a song that you can hear far more freely. It's a lot easier to get hold of. Is that uh, Pants Down released? A sequel to this, after the injunction, known as "I Don't Like It,"
4: I don't like it, which no. is a
1: direct response to this track and the whole story of it going forward.
4: It's amazing. Was
0: that,
1: was that in the next hundred?
0: I'm almost certain it is. Yes I, was, yes, I
3: was far more familiar with that than this. Definitely. Yeah, because
0: that was the much bigger hit. I think this could be hit because it, it got works man. better
3: as as like a pop song as a song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Knowing that... Um, Allegedly. Is it Greg Hunt was his name? Simon Hunt. Simon Hunt. <laughs> but a good name, like the initial name, Shunt, very good. Shunta. Um, um, Shunter. Um, but when, when the Shunster released it, like knowing, knowing the old Shuntles was a drag queen... Uh, <laughs> was a drag queen, makes this song really obvious. Like, it, it it's so obviously a piece of drag performance music, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. De- no, definitely. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the fact that it was supporting a live drag show in the first place yeah. is, is just so important. I think, like, if nothing else, it's the story that is this song.
3: It's similar in the same way that, um, not in the sense that it's similar in in obvious way, but it, like had the first Hot 100, the first winner 100%. being asshole, like that as a story is fucking funny and good. And the fact that like a song in the top five got injunction and they couldn't play it on the day of the Hot 100, but people still voted it in and it got to number five is
2: extremely and good.
1: Beat Paranoid Andrew, yeah. like, <laughs> that, like, yeah, that, yeah. that that owns. Yeah, that,
2: that's really. This is
1: like allegedly that owns. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> this is the music community that we want in Australia. 100% You know, like, this is, this is exactly the same as Dennis Leary and, like, Cows With Guns, you yeah. know? And the thing is, like, even if you didn't love this song, and, like, obviously this
3: is not one of the, this, this is not the fifth best song you heard this year, but, like, <laughs> if you were
2: voting and you didn't vote for this, you're a cop. Preach! It's, <laughs> it's probably Allegedly. at least the fifth best cultural event to happen yeah. around music in this year. Yeah yeah allegedly Ale- allegedly <laughs> yeah
1: yeah well, what else is there really to say oh, you redacted. can't really review the song can you yeah it's it irrelevant like, like, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. About, it's, it's about the political
0: irrelevant. statement man yeah. yeah it's exactly
1: about the political statement and that's why people were allegedly so into it so Alleged behind people in, yeah. the, in the first yeah. so called people hearsay yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah exactly
3: so we'll talk about yeah. old shuntles soon <laughs> shunty brewster <laughs> I'm trying to
1: think
4: of other ones okay. <laughs> I can use. I know, Shanti Bruce well, is uh, the Apex. Are you kidding me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the hits just keep coming, and they do not stop coming, my friends. I didn't even realize this, but the great Van Halen, Van Halen, have made it into the hottest 100. They are in at number four with a classical take on a Rolling Stones classic, Symphony for the Devil. symphony by the verb from urban hymns 1997 triple j hardest 100 nathan you are here i am
2: so this is one of those songs that like if i talk to someone about this song and they don't like it and in part that's because of how completely oversaturated it is and everything i fully understand and get that and i think anyone who doesn't dig this song is like yeah that's fine. But I love it. It just gets me every time. There's just something about this song that just sweeps me up. Everything about wanting to change, but being in your mold and you're just slave like- for the money, then you die. But also, I think we've talked about so much Britpop over the last few seasons. Pulp, we've talked about Oasis and Blur. And connecting that to the political reality, particularly for young people in Britain at the time, is so important, like having their rights stripped away, lack of housing affordability, very few job prospects, not something we can relate to, but it's so important to connecting it to that music. And then you sort of get to here and you get to urban hymns and the verve, and it just feels like there's nothing left. I'm not saying this as an original thought. I read this on a blog.
3: They were talking about musical movements, and to them they said the 90s started with Smells Like Teen Spirit, and the 90s ended with Bittersweet Symphony. And I said, look, I'm not going to verify the dates these things came out because it doesn't fucking matter. I'm not talking about years. I'm talking about the idea of the 1990s. Started with Smells Like Teen Spirit, this angry young thing saying, here we are, now entertain us. But the end of it, it doesn't matter. You've grown up. The promises that you were promised didn't come true. Your desires fell flat. You're a slave to the money. Then you die. Life is a bittersweet symphony. That is the story of 90s youth." That this person went on to say, and if you had a strong connection to a song after that in the 2000s when there was internet accessibility with music, you're entitled to the, your opinion, but that doesn't matter anymore because before the internet made accessibility of music so much broader, these two songs, at least for this writer, and I'm inclined to agree, is they were cultural movements that were promoted on mainstream radio and on mainstream television. And that's why it's important because now you can get your music from anywhere. But before that, Everybody was hearing something like Teen Spirit and that exemplified an idea about youth and then years later all those things you wanted didn't come true. It's a bittersweet symphony and I think that's incredibly articulate and yeah. like, I think that's a really beautiful way and it changed the way I interpret the song. Mm. I really like the song. I, I'm with you. It is overplayed and it is oversaturated and it is overly saccharine but it is beautiful. As somebody who is... They, we never want to get too real on this podcast, but as somebody who is chronically depressed and wants to, uh, wants a better life, these kind of songs connect with me in a way that's really sincere and beautiful. And I think that like there's something about Ashcroft's writing here that is genuine and sincere in a way that is. Really, really difficult to do, and I think he's done a really excellent job.
1: I don't see it as being complete sadness, though. I think no, it's not complete a-
3: sadness. No, it's bittersweet. Yeah. This is,
1: it's it's the work. Yeah, it's like working through sadness and whatever. I draw a parallel, interestingly, to Britpop to the kind of thoughts that we were having when we talked about what's the story of Morning Glory. <laughs> We're in that your situation hasn't changed, but your mindset has. The mm. way you're choosing to go about the the moment, the day to day, you're making a choice in that, and that's where the joy is found. For me, it's not so much a joy as much as it is a resignation. Like this is like the night that you give up. This is the morning after. Yeah. Mm. This, is, the, the, this, this yeah. is
3: this is nowhere near as insular and depressing as the drugs don't work. Oh no, no. no. Like that's a personal sorrow. Yeah. This is a statement. The, yeah. the strings
1: yeah. at the beginning is the sound of the entire flock of fucks that you had <laughs> taking flight. <laughs> right, it's That's like nice. there it goes. There they go. oh. and then all <laughs> the video <laughs> works
2: quite well with that too because it's just Richard Ascroft uh, walking down the street, and kind 100%. of unperturbed by everything.
1: In know? much the same way that the video of "What's the Story, Morning Glory" was the same mm. kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So
0: sidebar. This video was a horrible, horrible influence on me as a child because I used to just walk down the hallways and barge into people at school because <laughs> I was reenacting the video. <laughs> that rules. And That's I got true. I got into a lot of trouble <laughs> for doing <laughs> it. <laughs> they were just like, "We've noticed you barge into people a lot." Yeah. Have you listened to have Open here? Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the video? It's great. So, Richard Ascroft, you are a terrible influence on children. (laughs) That's beautiful. Allegedly. (laughs) Um, So, probably important to
2: talk about the rights and that whole saga with this song. The real
1: bittersweet symphony.
2: Well, that's it. It's just kind of like it was really a self fulfilling prophecy. So, the strings are sampled from a 1965 Andrew Oldham orchestra arrangement of The Last Time by the Rolling Stones. (laughs) Was licensed to the Verve. But then, and this is where I'm definitely putting my bias into the story, and other people would have probably a different interpretation. Once the song kind of blew up quite a lot because it's an incredible song that connected with a huge amount of people, the Rolling Stones manager, Alan Klein, sort of had a look and was like, oh, Actually, I would like some more money, I think. Because, I of course, some more money Be- money Rolling Stones is. aren't
3: doing very Be- well. Because the law is that they licensed the original recording but not the songwriting royalties from the Stones or something. Yeah. It's something weird. It's
1: it's, something- it's very complicated and hard to trace back because there's not as many records kept of the of the whole thing. Plus, there was a lot of out-of-court settlements.
2: Yeah. Because yeah. also, when the Rolling Stones more or less ripped off a Katie Lang song, they just called her and were like, hey, we're going to put you down as a songwriting credit. Is that cool? And she was like, uh, yeah okay yeah. yeah and it's like alright I guess it's easy yeah. easy for some artists to rip off other, other artists it's <laughs> and hard like for some artists to license music from the bigger artists yeah. and like the end of it was that, that- all the money they made from the song is gone, yeah. Well, that, that's it. So, oh, yeah. originally that's it was right. a 50-50% split, the Rolling Stones uh,
3: and Which uh, Which Klein,
2: I was editorialize as to say is, quote, pretty fucking generous. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. They sued the verve, took them to court, the judge threw out that arrangement and gave 100% of the royalties to the Rolling Stones and Andrew Oldham. This legal system is just fucking back- gangbusters. so good, right? No. Man, it's just <laughs> it, it hit after
1: hit. If you if you have money, the laws awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> slight correction on that. It was the, the original uh, lawsuit was Alan Klein, as you said, the, the manager of the Rolling Stones, but in 99, Andrew Oldham had his own yeah. lawsuit. He was the arranger for the orchestral version that w- was used, but he didn't see anything from it. So he came in and, and tried to dip in later as Ooh, well. Money, money, money,
3: money, 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 exactly. yeah. <laughs> uh.
1: And he had, this, he had this terrible quote where he was saying that, um, as for Richard Ashcroft, well, I don't know how an artist can be severely damaged by that experience. Songwriters have learned to call songs their children, and he thinks... He wrote something. He didn't. I hope he's got over it. It takes a while. Holy fuck, man. Uh That that is bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and there's this whole thing of Richard Ashcroft having an amazing burn on the Rolling Stones, and I fucking love this. Nathan, would you like to? No, no, please.
2: <laughs> it's um.
1: So after losing the composer credits, he said, "Well, this is the best song that Jagger and Richards have written in twenty years." Hey, which very is just like, good. I'm not saying that it was worth losing all the money to get that, that burn, but-, but but
3: yeah, you want to go out with a burn, and he yeah, had a good yeah, one. Yeah, it yeah. is
1: excellent. And there's this beautiful story of because it's worth it's worth pointing out at this point that a lot of the even the original intro strings, while based on Alden's thing. They were original. Like Ashcroft came up with those and of course yeah. all the lyrics, all the vocal melodies that it was only those 6 notes. You it's know, not
3: I... super noteworthy. Like you listen to it and then listen to it the last time. You're not like, "Oh my god."
1: The string arrangement was definitely used as the basis for writing the song, but there's a lot written that isn't that. There's a yeah. lot here that is just purely Ashcroft and the verb and like he performed it live stripped back out of necessity. And I'm a You know, and then he actually was like musing after he performed it, going, like, Hey,
0: ultimately, take away the dressing, take away the strings, take away the sample. There's uh, there's an actual song there that's sad in it's, its way, man. Isn't but beautiful
1: it? Yeah.
3: in a way, yeah,
1: bittersweet, yeah, if yeah. you will, <laughs>
3: but that's Boo! it. It's just like in its own sick, sad way. And in the way that I was saying, it it's the end of the 90s. It couldn't have been a more appropriate song to happen to.
2: That's it. When you're a kid, you have these ideas that, like, sure, maybe there's some fat cats in the music industry, but there's cool, you know, but it's like, no, like, no. this, it's, it's a broken system it's like everything else. It's a business. Yeah. It's a business and it's there to serve the people at the top and that's it. And it's sad. But <laughs> beautiful
0: song. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. This is part of 90s culture For lack of a better phrase, you know This song is universal You can play this at any fucking bar In any country In any part of the world And everyone will know it Everyone will know the words Everyone will know every last little bit And Assistance from a string arrangement or not This song has that quality And you can't take that away from them this song is such a huge part of people's lives. It's so strange to think that that they, they literally had to give up everything they earned from making this song because this is their legacy. And I reckon that's probably influenced why Richard Ascroft is seen as such a nasty, bitter human being <laughs> to this very day. I would be. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does give you that kind of us-against-the-world feeling. This plays in so many situations in your head. Walking through life just trying to get by and everyone is getting in your fucking way and you start pushing back. That's what Bittersweet Symphony is to me. <laughs> very interesting to see the way that voters worked in the 1997 Hottest 100 because, you know, you've got a lot of very, very popular acts but then they'll pick a song that normally isn't regarded as like a classic hit. Take, for example, number three we have Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Chubby Checker. Chubby Checker has made it into the hottest 100, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, it's it's not any of his classic singles. It's certainly not the twist. Um, it says here that it's a B-side. It's called butt-fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Womba, tub thumping, Getting Knocked Down, etc. Number three. 1997, Hottest 100. Andrew. David. Takes a whiskey drink? I do. Takes a vodka drink? Like, on occasion. Drinks a lager drink? Yes. Drinks a cider drink? Yeah, I, I have, yes. Sing songs that remind you of the good times? Yeah. Sing songs that remind you of the best times? Yeah. Oh, Daddy Boy? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Qualified, I, 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 yeah, that, that passes the checklist.
3: Um, yeah, tub thumping. This is one of the most inescapable songs of the '90s, isn't it? Yeah, everybody fucking knows this song. I mean, song. you could say that about literally every song we've talked about. Mm. Before we even talk about the the song, I'm sure some people know the weird story of Chumbawamba, but it's worth recounting because um they were one of the most fiercely political anarcho punk bands of the late '80s, early '90s. They were influenced by. Public Image Limited the fall and most specifically crass to exist as a band as a political statement their first record is called Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records and it's a shot at Bob Geldof and live aid things for their overly saccharine use to like market them like that so they came out Balls to the Wall with politics at the forefront. Um, after that, they went on to release albums under pseudonyms like Jesus Christ Limited and make albums of illegally gotten samples. Like they were, uh, they, Their p- politics extended into the actual composition of the music. They were a fascinating band. They also incorporated pop music as they went on to, into the kind of mid-90s and then they somehow got signed to a major label and then they released this song, which... <laughs> and uh, as the band would later go on, they would um experiment with world music, acapella music, folk music. They are... One of the biggest one-hit wonders you can possibly fathom, but not in a way that it's as a failure to the band, because they kept making music and seemingly having fun. This was just, for the career of a weird anarcho-punk band, this was an an insane mainstream sellout move blip on the radar. But this song itself, still obviously, like as much as it is a sing-along, rowdy song that you have definitely fucking heard if you've been in a hostel.
0: Um, or if like, you've owned a little thing I like to call a radio. radio yeah.
3: A little thing I like to call a pair of ears. Yeah,
0: um, no. yeah. If you've the, got like, two ears and a heart. Like,
4: and a whiskey
3: drink. Like, like, and or vodka, cider, or vodka um, drink. lager. Yeah. Mm. But like, or if this you've is, been knocked down.
4: I got back like, up. And I got back
3: <laughs> it's a political song, right? Like, it's like, yeah, in its way, it's it's like a pro-union, like work, yeah, the exactly. working class we'll be singing
0: when we're winning. Yeah, like th- the that, workers that's united right? can never be defeated. It's it's, it's <laughs> fully
3: that tone, though, right? It kind everything of everything
0: about them is working class. That's that's yeah. the origins of of the band. Yeah, the fact that they ever had a hit is a fucking miracle in and unto itself. Yeah,
3: if you were a definite. Fan of their anarcho politics and a signed to a major label. In this case, it was EMI, again, our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> friends of the yeah, show. friends of the show, EMI, <laughs> and Universal in, in the US. Other friends of the show, The Law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this was their major debut label. Look, as he says on this song, the late lead songwriter, Duncan Bruce, says, um, It's not our most political or best song, but it brought us back together. The song is about us, as a class and as a band. The, be- the beauty of it is we had no idea how big it would be if you dedicate your life to being a political activist and use that in your music, there are inevitably going to be parts where you are unhappy and fighting with the people that you're working with. And then they write this song, happened to be a huge fucking hit. They're now selling out goddamn stadiums after having a career playing pubs. Um, It'd be such a weird
2: gig as well because, like, stadium gigs for one-hit wonders. Yeah, obviously always, yeah. Weird yeah. Mm.
3: To say this song is overplayed is being generous to how much <laughs> this is being overplayed. But, like, as a piece of songwriting, I fucking get it. it's fun, Like It's embracing, it's like this downtrodden working class person and you're like, yeah, as Deej verified with me, I have consumed liquid beverages in my life. Some of them have been alcoholic and it's fun to be rowdy Allegedly,
4: <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> um, like rowdy and singing along with your friends is a part of fun culture, and like this is obviously a song written for that. It's not about that in apart from the he drinks a whiskey drink, he drinks a vodka drink, <laughs> which is cheesy and annoying, but it's good as well. Like I get why this song is here. It's it's bigger than a Triple J, right? Like it's, it's yeah. not, it wasn't. It's not like a Triple J sounding song. I wonder right. if they
2: just they picked like they were an earlier adopter of it and I were kind of playing it before it got real big, and so listeners still felt and ownership over it. Mm, a womba. Oh. <laughs> a womba. No, you were right. A womba, womba. <laughs> Yeah. What do people think? Do we like this song? Oh, Can nice. you like it? It's terrible. I don't know how I meant to engage yeah, with it just I, being like, I never put uh-huh.
4: it
0: on.
2: Yes. I never think, oh, put tub thumping on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're never
0: fucking complaining when it's on, you know yeah, mom that's true. Yeah. You're channel. not thinking that because
2: everyone else is thinking <laughs> yeah. Culture's got No, you, got you fucking me covered. get
1: amongst it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's a triumph. It's all about triumph. Your fucking team is coming Clean. Okay.
1: It has to be said, not everyone is for it. This was voted by yeah. the Rolling Stones' 20 Most Annoying Songs of All Time poll. It came in at number twelve. The magazine. Yeah. Um <laughs> so you know, like it did get people offside. You know what really changed the song for me, to it being like an obnoxious radio song or whatever, is in the album version the Peter Posselthwaite. The quote at the beginning from mm-hmm. right? Last Off. Right. I so I fucking the, love brass If you've never heard it, the quote is...
3: I thought that music mattered, but does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter.
1: That is the song. That is it. Because it's like, basically, we don't care, we're going to make literally the least pretentious song that we possibly can because we care about how people interact with music and not necessarily the music itself normally what we hear is the exact opposite we're hearing music that stands for something greater than the artist itself this isn't this is music that is just as big and no bigger than the people who are currently singing it at the time this song was inspired by a pub legit yeah the name of the pub uh, was in leeds it's called the fort green that was legitimately the inspiration for the song. And Boff Whatley from the band uh, also said that it's, you know, it's about the resilience of ordinary people. You say working class, sure, but there's almost like a classlessness in it in the sense that everyone can enjoy the company of others, camaraderie, and celebration of their own resilience, no matter what you kind of go through. So I like. There is a... Weirdly, there's a beauty in it. Like, <laughs> it's there. Like, you have to almost think about it a little bit, or not, almost. Mm. Like, not think about it too much. You just have to tap into that experience in if, a way that isn't just, like, the obnoxious radio if you, noise. If you had never
3: heard it and you were at a bar and it came on a jukebox with $9.97... Yeah. and you were kind of drunk and this song came on, you would fucking land into it. 100%. Or better
2: yet, if you were with a group of friends and like you'd never heard it, but then you heard it like six times or enough that you could sing along to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. The oversaturation
3: kills it. But yeah. it's a baller and a fun song. Yeah. But what I was going to say was um, there's this funny little anecdote here. They're partly inspired by a different UK band who are more of a dance band and sample-driven, but equally anarchic, called the KLF. Yeah. or they went by various names like uh, the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo and they were a band that were notoriously illegally sampling things from the Beatles to Queen and ABBA things that they're inevitably going to get called up for nice. and then releasing it themselves and putting it in the, in record stores and then getting in trouble very funny <laughs> like I've spoken about artistic purity and how much mm. I respect it the KLF were the purest band in the world because they had a number one hit with a song that samples Rock and Roll Number 2 by Gary Glitter Hey. and mashes it up with um, Doctor Who sounds and they released it under the name The Time Lords and then when they were going to perform it on top of the pops, they said, well, the car plays it so they had to put a car on stage <laughs> for a play um, and they um, Google it Time Lords, um, the song is called Rockin' the Tardis um, and it just goes like <laughs> It's the funniest thing in the world and they had a number one hit with that like it was an... Oh, England is broken. <laughs> and, then, and then they wrote and released a book by the KLF. The manual, how to have a number one hit the easy way. Told, told you step by step how to have a number one hit. And there's a photo before this song came out of Chumbawama reading that book.
4: <laughs> wow. yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah.
3: Later on, the KLF, because I have to tell my favourite anecdote from the history of music, when they were they, all the money they got from their entire career, when they broke up and refused to reform ever, they, um wanted to give it to like when there was the, the new wave of young British artists were coming out doing like this confronting kind of experimental work when they were going to announce the best one of that the KLF then announced that they were going to give money to the worst artist in Britain <laughs> and they picked the person who would an hour later be awarded the best artist in Britain and I said like <laughs> and then she's like well I'll,
0: I'll take the money I guess <laughs> um, and, and they are like wow. what do you do in that situation and then hey. later on
3: all the money they made from their entire KLF career they had a million quid and then they went out to a into an island somewhere and burned it. They just burned all the money they made, which was a million pounds. And then they released that as a film called The k Foundation Burn a Million Quid. And that's the end of their career. Wow! They are purer than you can dream of. And they kind of inspired this hit. Because <laughs> I'm never going to chance to talk about them. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad
2: you did, though. Yeah. Remix episode. I also think it's interesting just looking at the band... While this song was happening and it was so popular because they were still trying to really live their politics or whatever yeah. while being like a number one band or a, what, a number know. one EMI band. Yeah, exactly. There's like Nutter was quoted in Melody Maker saying, Nothing can change the fact that we like it when cops get killed.
1: Oh, <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs>
2: Obviously, especially in Britain, where the tabloid press loves outrage, uh, got in a lot of trouble, but didn't even back down. They um, commented uh, by saying, if you're working class, they won't protect you when you hear about them. It's in the context of them abusing people. We don't have a party when cops die. You know we don't. And it's like, that's huge. Um, But then also, like, they sold the song to General Motors for an ad and donated all the money from that to an environmental campaign against General Motors, which is super interesting and like awesome, but then at the end of the day, I kind of think 20 years on, we still have that song as a pop song. And General Motors can still use it in ads. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's kind of like, I can't help but feel that it's just like, you know, once again, it's just the industry swallowing you up despite your best efforts to try and change the system from within, because it just doesn't really work like that. Also, I forgot to say before, when we're talking about Bittersweet Symphony, but it makes me mad, so I'd like to say it now, the Rolling Stones manager who ripped them off so badly Alan Klein kind of jumped on the fact that uh, Richard Ashcroft hated his music being used in advertising and sold the song to heaps of ads like Nike and stuff. Um, which is just like... Oh, God, villainous. What a cock. Man, that's just...
0: And <laughs> <laughs> there just taking notes? It's just like, right, ha- this is how you be a villain. i into it.
2: That's that how he's doing it. That's like, just <laughs> an absolute scum move. Anyway, this song is in- incredible, and an incredible thing to have happened. Yeah. This song is beyond critical, like,
3: discussion to a certain Yeah, obviously. Degree. Yeah.
0: My notes might be incorrect on this one. No!
3: we will be accurate so far.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> I've never led you guys astray in the past. But uh, it's telling me this song is by Oasis. So they have made it back into the charts somehow, someway. What's the, what's the pronunciation on this? I think it's... Uh... Woo!
4: Woo! <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Yeah.
0: Number two, 1997, Triple J, Hottest 100, quick maps, motherfucker, this <laughs> song is song two, because it is two minutes and two seconds, it is the second song on their second album, there's two choruses and two verses, that's it. And it came it. in at number
1: two. It also,
0: yeah, they wrote it specifically because they knew it was going to come in at number two in the 1997 hottest 100 but
1: also it only peaked at number 2 on the charts hey. Hey.
0: Hey. but
4: i
3: wonder right like if you were the person who was tallying the votes or looking at the billboard list that year like <laughs> you could very easily just like it came at number 3 it's put it over at number 2 it makes more sense yeah. right yeah. like
0: fuck oh, great now i'm going to have to get robert Moller in here to yeah. fucking <laughs> investigate the 97 <laughs> countdown
1: <laughs> this is all just allegedly oh memorable. boy oh allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly.
4: Yeah,
0: boy I don't think there is anyone in this room that does not have an affinity for this song and immediately sparks reminiscence of childhood and like primary school discos and pub cover bands and fifa games just (laughs) (laughs) ads tv everywhere this song has been omnipotent and omnipresent since it first came out it's 21 this year which means it is legally allowed to drink everywhere and it's going out to get fucking smashed and why wouldn't you it's very very peculiar because it's antithetical to everything Blur, but, like, usually when rock bands have a big hit, it's their ballad. Look at, like, Extreme, Mr. Big, Faith No More, even Green Day around this point. Like, all of their biggest hits were their acoustic ballads that sounded nothing like the rest of their discography. Whereas Blur, you know, were a kind of catchy, sensible, fun pop rock band that wrote the heaviest alt rock song that they'd ever written, and that ended up becoming their signature song.
3: It's so funny. For years, I um, before I was familiar with Blur at all, mm. and when people were saying like the Blur Oasis beef, and this is me not being a Britpop aficionado, yeah. but I'm like, why would you compare those bands? Like, Song Two <laughs> has nothing like Oasis. Like, yeah. I, I had no idea. Like for years, I like that, that's the Blur sound, but it's not at all, obviously.
0: This song relies on. We've talked about it in the past. The Smells Like Teen Spirit dynamics, which again, they stole from the Pixies. The Loud, quiet loud, and also reflecting on what isn't playing in the song. You open with Dave Roundtree, boom to boom
1: boom boom.
2: One of the most I iconic opening yeah, drum beats yeah, yeah, right? of all time. Like, like two seconds of that, everyone knows what's happening. Yeah, it's exactly. incredible.
0: The the second the second that's there, it's on. And then Graham Carson comes in with one of the most recognizable riffs of the nineties. So you open up, no guitar, no bass, no vocals. Then you've got guitar and drums. And then it all kicks in like a fucking shitstorm. Just boom. And then you have the second half of the intro happen again in that verse, but with vocals this time. And the vocals are very sporadic. You're paying attention to like, okay, we're back to this part of me again. But it's about to kick off again. Like I know.
1: Yeah, it's just anticipation yeah, from yeah, the yeah. very beginning. Like it, it sets it's up like, that without like even the EDM knowing drop. the song, it's
0: just like you know it's coming. Yeah. You fucking yeah. you know it's coming, and shit's going to get fucking very very real, very very quickly when it does.
1: But you don't even have to have any like with EDM. You kind of have to know. I mean, you could feel it out a bit, I guess. But you know the genre, and you know that there's going to be a drop. Whereas I feel like this teaches you what's going to happen immediately, mm. and then the rest of the song, you can anticipate that happening again. Which just is because awesome. it's
2: the same riff, like the the loud and quiet parts, is the same the same thing is happening. When it drops back, you're not out of this big thing. You still have the really heavy moment lingering, and you know it's just a step away. True, again.
1: it's like an echo. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is what you're left with. I think it's interesting that you brought up um, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" as a comparison point because many people think that this song was written as a parody of grunge. That's I like heard a word Yeah, I can but see that. It doesn't make sense, really, and like there's no evidence from the band that that is the. Mm. Apparently, making good on my thing that I said way at the beginning of the countdown, talking about songs being spontaneous. This is the ultimate example of that. This what? was <laughs>
2: this is like this
1: is like Blur in their own words, like being hungover as hell from whatever they did the night before, getting in the studio and just coming up with this and realizing that they had something there. And apparently, it was based on the kind of stuff that they used to jam out when they first started as a band. So they just got went back to their just having fun and they went, oh. Actually, that's kind of good. We've accidentally <laughs> wrote a major hit. Yeah. And then they oh, were this like... This jumbo jet line is really going to speak to people. Uh, yeah. Apparently, what proceeded from that was them kind of being heaps anxious that they hadn't done enough because it was just there. Like, they mm. did they did the track and they were like, oh, but normally we have to work so much harder on songs. should be... And it's like just them doing something and then going like, no, it was better before. Like, yeah. Yeah, I can I like Not that. fiddling with it. But yeah, I can't see any evidence that, that it was a grunge parody it'd be a bit passe part- like this many years later exactly like,
2: we're coming after grunge that's the main thing it's just kind of like you've already it's like a did it in 98 <laughs> it's just like
0: dude what are you doing Kurt's dead <laughs> yeah it would be we a bit Oasis now we're coming after Nirvana well, Hey, exactly. oh man one of the main things that I remember about this song is how much it is, you know, for better or for worse, associated with fucking lads, man. The fucking lads get around this fucking song. And I have never seen that more embodied than when I saw Blur Live in 2015 at the Sydney Entertainment Centre. Dave Rountree kicks off the drums. Everyone is going fucking bunter. And then, fucking ringleader, Damon Albarn, he starts a chant that goes over the top of the beat. So, boom, bak, boom, bat, boom, bat, boom, bat, boom, bat, boom bat, Here we! Here we! Here we fucking go! Here we! Here we! Here we fucking
4: go!
0: Here! Here! Here we fucking go! And I'm like, YES! (laughs) This is sick! People going so fucking crazy. One dude in the stands, like, out, up in the seats, was so excited that he fucking leapt over the top of the fucking barrier where the seats were to jump into the fucking crowd. And was like, fucking right, dude. Go fucking hard, son. You have paid the babysitter in full. This is your fucking <laughs> night,
3: Dad. It is fully one of those songs that, like, encouraged that kind of, like... Primordial, like reptile brain, where you're
0: like, you have yeah, to read Exactly, like Top
4: Thumping. Yeah. No one is left standing
0: by the time yeah. those two songs are played back to back in the barbecue. Oh, <laughs> and they're gearing up for number yeah. one yeah. the
4: <laughs> biggest
1: one of them all. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it is so, it's such a physical
3: track, right? Like it's, no, it's never something that I think to myself, oh, I'm dying to hear song, 2 I've never put mm. it on. Because everybody knows it intimately as it is. But, like, whether or not you like it is kind of beside the point because it works exactly how it should work. It's an incredibly well-done song. Mm. It is good. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's
1: an adrenaline shot.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's
1: pure distilled energy transmitted via audio. It's always been the car ad song for me. Heaps
2: yeah. of car Of course, Just like. This, we've had a few car ad songs yeah. come through. When I think of car ad songs, I think of this one. Mm. And I think there's probably one particular car ad that yeah. I end up seeing like a, a lot as a, a kid
3: like or whatever. The opening riff is like a distance shot of a car on a mountain and then it does the woohoo and it cuts up real close of the car so
2: I'm pulling <laughs> like, a mad turn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, Exactly. So, I don't even, you know, talking about discos and stuff, I don't really have a memory of it outside of Cars, that kind of thing. It's like, fair, like fairly you know, as a teenager or whatever, connecting the dots. Like you said, we're like, all oh, right, that's Blur.
1: Oh, mm. and they
2: sound like this?
1: Well, this huh. was the first song that I ever heard from Blur. Yeah. Thankfully. So I didn't I didn't really have a sense of what Blur were. In fact, but, I always had the chronology completely asked backwards. I thought that yeah. Blur, this Blur's self-titled was their first album, just because I thought like- It's self-titled. <laughs> kind <laughs> of. Like, that's, yeah. that, that's, that's, kind that's of, a yeah. Yeah, classic.
2: But yeah, I mean, you know, like the the simple heavy song- and then you know you could look at songs like Park Life and very easily connect them to later kind of indie rock in the country. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah, percent.
3: But it makes sense that like if this was like you said, Adam, they're um them going back to their roots in terms of how they just jammed out because yeah. it is obviously a jammed out song, right? Like the fact that you could just have a chorus and go whoo,
2: and then the lyrics are so nonsensical, like yeah. they're clearly just kind of thrown together and be like, you know what, that'll yeah. do. Like I that's remember, what this song needs. I
3: remember a, a mate of mine when I was a kid. Um, got uh, his dad or someone gave him a crew cut and he really fucking hated it and this song came out then and we used to tease him relentlessly by saying <laughs> I got my head shaved and he hated it
2: <laughs> so I think of that one I hit this song as well sorry Sam is there a second line to the teasing? No, do fucking uh, nine yeah, uh, so. can
0: I quickly bring up uh, a completely nonsensical Mondegreen that uh, <laughs> I think maybe people my age might uh, sympathise with I got my head shaved by a Jumbo jet. <laughs> Didn't think it was that. Didn't think it was, you know, real words. <laughs> Thought it was uh, someone named Ichamboche. <laughs> <laughs> I got itch- my headshae yeah. oh, by Ichumboche. Yeah, You're yeah. talking like,
1: about the, the mask that gives you invincibility in um, Crash Bandicoot. What have I got? Really? <laughs>
0: no. Oh. Just <laughs> kind of sounds like it. It's
1: <laughs> a thing I didn't know. <laughs>
2: but so like, I don't think I knew the lyrics until like maybe a year ago, maybe. Because <laughs> why would I ever know the lyrics to this?
0: You can basically just make phonetic noises yeah. at this song. And it, oh, and it gets you there. You.
3: But that gets you there. That's the thing, oh, right? So it's a physical that, that just like
2: vowels are enough.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. It's, huge it's, and
2: true. It's crazy thinking about this top 10 and a top 10 with Paranoid Android, one of the kind of most <laughs> he- complex and heady yeah. songs to, to do well in the 90s. We have like, also, you know, Leaving Home, which is such like a simple, Some like...
1: Spontaneous fun. Spontaneous exactly.
2: fun, like really punk influenced and just kind of like, you know, Kevin talked about the lyrics just sort of coming together or whatever. Yep. And then songs like this right next to that. Like, I think that's very... Cool, and it shows a really good diversity of music in in Australia at this point Mm -hmm. in time in terms of what people are into, that you can kind of have that highbrow and lowbrow stuff. Mm.
1: And if you're trying to write a good song, maybe you're trying too hard. Yeah. Mm. maybe you're just Sometimes Or not be- hard
2: enough. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, how, yeah. how hard you're trying right now is incorrect. <laughs> That's right. You need,
1: you need to either try, <laughs> try more, uh, if that
2: doesn't I'd work- i try less try first. Try less. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can get it by trying less, surely you <laughs> want to do that first. I have
1: lived much of
3: my life trying less and seeing if it works out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I mean, this is hard. Maybe if I put less effort in, I'll finish the race.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ah. I was thinking, though, I can't think of many Australian acts that kind of fit that heady, like your Radiohead, your Bjork, your artists that, like, are kind of experimental, but still in a fairly accessible way, but kind of have a, a richness of that you can really dive into those songs. And I can't think of Silverchair? Any... Maybe. About... I've never considered them like that. Like, well, think the...
0: about, like, Neon Ballroom and Diorama. Mm. Sure.
2: Let me tell you about Melbourne band Tism.
4: I'm the drum.
2: Obviously Tism. But, like, I don't know mm. who Australia's radio head is, just in terms of uh, an audience engaging- I don't think we have a radio head. No. I don't think we're smart enough to have no. a radio head. I, I wonder that, like- I think there's probably a bunch of things that go into that, like cultural cringe and, like, maybe just because of Australia's music history in terms of, like, pub rock and that, we're not predisposed to that kind of music. Mm.
3: Also, I know a huge spectrum of pop culture has an anti-intellectual inherentness, Mm. but Australia has definitely, like, a larrikinism and ocker thing. Yeah. Even, like, with punk rock, like Radio Birdman and The Saints, stuff like that. Yeah. Incredible acts, but, like, not super heady in the... yeah. Yeah. Even, like... In the 90s, like, like, like one of the best in terms of, like, songwriting, like, UMI, right? Like, hourly yeah. A- 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 Daily isn't, like, complex and heady. It's sincere and from the heart. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. yeah. And that's not so, like, diminishing. No, no, of- no. No, 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 no. Like, we, are, we have all these amazing bands, but they don't really fit yeah. the same mold as... It would, it'd be weird if they did. Yeah, you know? totally. Like, I can't imagine Australia having a Radiohead that is, like, on that level. Yeah. We have acts that sound like Radioheads, sure totally. as shit, but they are not And fil- we have some fil- really fil- good experimental
2: acts, like, um, like Nico Nico comes to mind, yeah. like, even Marcus Whale. Like, I think there's yeah. a lot going on in his music, but it doesn't approach the same level of success. I wonder as well if it's not, like, obviously because they're foreign, but Bjork and Radiohead, by the time they get to, like, the music gets to Australia, it's already kind of signed off by a lot of, like, critical consensus mm. as good, important music. Mm. And I wonder if it would be hard for an Australian act. to... Mm. You know, just that thing that, like, maybe Australians need other people to say something's good before we like it, if it's that kind of thing. I don't know. Listeners, like- if you do know this answer please hit us up because oh, if, if, if you're like
3: screaming at the headphones or maybe you're sitting on a fucking speaker that'd be weird
0: Yeah, um, it could
2: be in a car yeah I guess it's In a podcast in a car uh, I don't know they've there separated
1: the tracks out and they've got a separate speaker <laughs> for all of our voices <laughs> with little cutouts
2: <laughs> of our heads above I would love the version oh, of like
0: yeah it's it's yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Um, yeah but maybe you know there's like dude why
1: are you talking about fucking whoever tell yeah. us because yeah. I want to hear this yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean yeah. like specifically from the 90s or do you Think just anywhere anywhere along the line. Okay,
0: I'm gonna bring down the intellectual discussion just to wrap this up and mention that back in January I saw Papa Roach. They covered this and it was fucking awesome. You, yeah. (laughs) Okay, it was fucking sick. Bug Daddy, second best song of the night.
1: Uh, I'm sorry, Bug Daddy. Bug Daddy, Papa Roach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Quick maths.
0: Quick Quick maths. maths. can't believe this. 99 songs down, one to go. And it is a deep cut, but for some, somehow, some way, this has made it into the ether, into the history of Australian music. At number one, we have a track from the late, great Gough Whitlam. Uh, now, interestingly, this is the second ever no- Australian number one. But this also holds a different record uh, with the longest song title in the history of the Hottest 100. What is that title, David? (laughs) The song title is... Well, may we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. The proclamation which you have just heard read by the Governor-General's official secretary was countersigned by Malcolm Fraser, who will undoubtedly go down in Australian history from Remembrance Day 1975 as Curr's Kerr. They won't silence the outskirts of Parliament House, even if the insides have been silenced for the next few weeks. Maintain your rage and enthusiasm for the campaign for the election now to be held and until polling day. The big
1: one.
4: (laughs) (laughs) A letter to you on a cassette Cos we don't write anymore Gotta make it up quickly There's people asleep on the second floor There's no aphrodisiac like loneliness Truth, beauty and a picture of you You'll be walking your dog in a few hours I'll be asleep in my brother's house You're a thousand miles away With food between your teeth Come up for summer I've got a place near the beach There's room for your dog There's no aphrodisiac Like loneliness Truth Beauty and a picture of you.
0: The Whitlam's at number one in the 1997 Hottest 100 with no aphrodisiac. Yeah. Yeah. Dead set clappies. Dead set clappies. Dead oh, clappies. That's a good one. We haven't done that for
2: a while. <laughs> yeah. oh, nice throwback, Adam. It. going we, back a, a bit. We,
0: we've discussed, well, we're about to get into our fifth discussion of the most popular song of the year. Nathan, Mm. the Whitlam's, you love them. I do love them. Yeah, you've gone on record saying they're one of your favourite bands. Is this your favourite song of 1997? I think I'd still go with Louis Baudet. Okay, um, so why, why not this? <laughs> oh, I mean, this is obviously... Why, why, do, you why do you hate this song? <laughs> why do you hate Australia? <laughs> I, think, I think this song is trite. I think it's uninteresting. And... Come on, mate. We're not talking about Kevin Mitchell anymore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, well, I can't... Like, I don't even know... I'm sure someone doesn't like this song and they probably have terrible reasons for it. Um... <laughs> Andrew, how's it going? Oh, whoa. <laughs> no, I like this song.
4: <laughs> this is a great
2: song. Um, so, uh, I guess a bit of context. We've talked about The Whitlam several times now, uh, including earlier this season with uh, You Sound Like Louis Badette. We also talked about I Make Hamburgers in last season for the 1996 countdown. Which we cocked up the meaning of. Yeah, apparently. Uh, yeah. Jeez. Felt like such a child. Yeah, it was boy, like, yeah. It's about sex. We're like, what? <laughs> He's a pig. <laughs> I thought it was just about the Perkins. Less funny. Uh, so on the broadcast day of the 1996 Hottest 100, which is uh, January 26th of uh, 1997, yes. um, Stevie Plunder, original member of the Whitlam's, was found dead at the base of a waterfall. Terribly, terribly sad. Andy had, I think, already left the band by this point, or at least they were kind of... In a nebulous yeah, Andy, state, and he wasn't in the band at this. Point. So the band kind of like stops being a band at this point, and Tim goes away for a while. But then he he comes back, and there's this beautiful. This is just like you know a phoenix rising from the ashes. He comes back with a whole bunch of songs. All the personnel on the album changed nearly every song because he didn't have money to pay anyone properly. So yeah. he was just getting in whoever he could for every session. The songs were all recorded separately, and. The way it was thrown together is, like, almost ramshackle in the way it was just kind of- Wow. Like, here's a bunch of thong- songs, and he wanted to make the record, but had so few resources to do it.
0: Now, I was going to say, because um, on the next record, there's a lot of different people that play on that album as well, mm. but my favourite person that plays on Love This City is In Excess Bassist, who has my favourite name of anyone ever, Gary Gary Beers. <laughs> the Great Man. The Great, great man. man. GGB. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, So, yeah, this album's kind of thrown together, kind of, yeah, in in a sort of ramshackle way, coming out of a huge tragedy as well. Yeah. And then I really like the story. Once they sort of finished, Tim got the core team together, and they all wrote out their idea of what a track listing might be for the album. it's a big, I think, 17 tracks, Eternal Nightcap?
0: Yeah. It's a solid album. Like, there's a lot
2: going on there. And even though no one had kind of flagged this song as, like, a single or anything and all the track listings everyone wrote were different, everyone put this as the first track, Hmm. which is really lovely, I think. It's just a beautiful song. I think it it kind of straddles this really beautiful space between starting out so seriously, and it's quite lovely and, and feels like a lonely song. And then moving into this really weird space by the end. There's yeah. members of uh, Machine Gun Fellatio that's right. Helping out with the lyrics and all that stuff because they're just good friends. Because Sydney bands, I guess. Uh, Pinky, Beecroft, and Chit Chat. Yeah, yes, it's just great. I, I love it. I think there's a real simplicity in how the song moves through all those sections, and like everything is just kind of doing his job. And Tim is just a great songwriter and a great singer. And and even though this is like not. The characterful song that Louis Baudet is, there's still so much character in it right from the start. Those details about you're, you know, you're a thousand miles away with food Food between your big teeth. It's just. It's so, it's so
3: fucking human. It's one, of, right? it's one of
2: like, in terms of this countdown, and it's very, in its way, it's
3: suitable that it is number one, um, because the one thing that we've spoken about in the 90s is like sincerity and irony and the clash between those and how songwriters have responded to that. And this, the Whitlams do both really fucking well. And this, like, like again, like, it's it kind of playful by the end, but like, this, it's so human and sincere. Just, and even just saying it's no aphnesiac like loneliness, it's a sickeningly human, beautiful thing, yeah. right? I do prefer Lube that as well, because I think it's more fun or whatever. What's it's yeah. obviously more fun this not fun (laughs) i think it might be more fun yeah this was obviously like probably for me it's been overplayed a touch just because it's like so popular and huge but like it never feels overly saccharine though Mm. it's just it's a fucking beautiful song i don't think tim gets enough chops as a singer but like here he's really he suits
1: his sound so so warmly because he's lazing into it yeah he's just letting it kind of come out Mm. which is what i think is so much about this song based on talking about the writing of it and it being human. Like this is a short story. It just happens to be set to music, like the mm. way that it's written and the way that it's composed and, and everything. My favorite detail about this song is how quickly it gets to the first chorus. And he says like, we don't write anymore. We've got to make it up quickly. To me, it's like this guy has just spent like the evening feeling shitty and longing after this person. He's downed a couple of glasses of wine and he's come up with this line and he has to let this person know that and he doesn't actually have the rest of the letter yet or the rest of the thing that he wants to say to them ready yet he doesn't have it ready yet but he knows that bit so he gets to it straight away oh that's beautiful and then the rest he just kind of makes it up as he goes along to the point where he gets to the end and it's just (laughs) classified weird (laughs) classifieds that he's found and like originally I didn't like it like I was was so on board with the song talking about imagining being together and, and all that really connected stuff between one person and another and then it gets to the classifieds bit and I'm just kind of like this is just a bit silly but I've seen has come to really love it because it's other people's loneliness presented in this really absurd light and even the fact that you could imagine this character reading through the classifieds trying to find someone in lieu of this other person that he really wants to spend time with and only coming up with this like these weird <laughs> bizarre descriptions of what people are looking for but they're looking for that earnestly yeah and it's just kind of like you know it's, a, it's an eleanor rigby all the lonely people kind of mm. moment like Look at the weird things that loneliness makes us seek. Yeah, look at the totally weird yeah, sad no ways day. we buy. It. Yeah, <laughs> like the m- suck on my finger after it has some nice wine or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you know. Look, look at the way that we are so desperate to to be with one another and whatever. It's so weird that this got number one though. Don't you think? You reckon? It's, like, it's huge. I, 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 really I reckon. Yeah. I reckon
0: at the time people would have just been like, "Wait, really?" And then with a bit of space and a bit of time to reflect, it's just like, you know what. This deserved that, you know? I mean, we
1: can look at it and go easily, of course, this is number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, we we have the 2020
0: hindsight, but, like, it's weird. I I, I think, I think at at first it might have been a bit of a surprise, but, uh, I think people, you know, came to realize the importance of this song and the emotional weight of this song. And, like, it's weird that something could be so uniquely specific and yet people empathize and relate to it. You know, there's a real sense of, yeah, I've been in this position. Like, not specifically down to the bone. Maybe they're walking with their cat in a few hours or some shit. But like, you know what I mean? Like, Tim has always had that way of telling stories that are very directly about him and his own life and his own stories, and yet they are universal enough to be able to picture yourself in them. And I think that reflects on Eternal Nightcap as a whole. I think this is a record about grief and about death and about friendship and about loving the people in your life, even when they disappoint you and when they let you down. And as directly personal as this is a record for Tim, you also get so much out of those stories and you kind of sense yourself within them. On my first album, there's a song called In Love With This Girl and With Her Town as well, which is named after a lyric from Melbourne, which is on this album. I took inspiration from that song like in one tiny little way, and you know turned it into something completely different and I reckon a bunch of songwriters have done the same with so many Whitlam songs. Mm. We can look at them as you know they're obviously they're a bit naff, they're a bit cheesy, you know they're very they're so earnest, they are the whitest white <laughs> band to ever white, but like God damn, if I don't hear that descending piano and just fall into a fucking heap, like, fuck, I'm done, I'm under. that's the
3: thing. Like, when you said that about, like, it's, like, naff or whatever like that, it's only naff because we've been conditioned to view everything with a lens of fucking irony. Totally. Because we poisoned ourselves as people. like, (laughs) Like, it's embarrassing... To show sincere love. You get caught off guard if somebody, you're not expecting it, says something really sincere to you. Like, like, look, I'm having a really difficult time right now, but I really love your friendship. That's a hard thing to hear. And that those kind of sincere moments. And the Whitlam's channel that so well. And you can't, like, that's the thing right between sincerity and irony that I mentioned before. That they do them so well. And it's only naff if you refuse to let it hold you properly. It really wants to hold you properly. And if you let it, it's just fucking beautiful. Yeah, he's a damn good writer.
4: Hmm. Yeah,
3: him the Sure, I'm, the film. I'm, sure I'm at first
1: to say that about Tim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, can write a good tune. I'm <laughs>
0: sure he can. I'm sure he appreciates it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know who uh, also appreciated it. Mr. Golf Whitlam. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Really yeah. needed need, need yeah, on this one.
0: Didn't he introduce them at yeah. the Arias? Yeah, yeah. and no, he good, announced it. Yeah. in the
3: countdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah a, good, a good story about that when they saw him on stage at the Arias. Tim's like sitting in the crowd, being like, "That is fucking cruel, man. How dare they? Like, just there was a guest presenter. Like, How dare they get Golf Whitlam up there doing that, like that? And we're not winning it. That is that is grade A cruelty, man. I can't fucking believe that. He just he, he just so did like, connect it, oh. and then said it,
2: and he was like, "Oh right, that's why they got him. Like, oh okay, <laughs> like." And he's like, oh, sick. Yes, there you go. It's actually good because everyone organising it would have been like, oh it's gonna be so obvious as soon yeah. as Goff is here that the Whitlams will win it. <laughs> know <Like, laughs> nope. guys, the team in the audience was like, oh, you just fucking <laughs> <laughs> having a word to him afterwards. Oh bloody hell, this <laughs> is bullying. Yeah, very beautiful. And they yeah. became like good friends. Yeah, which is really
3: nice. Yeah, oh I am just God. not really humblebray, but I did get to meet Goff Whitlam once, and he was a very humble man and a giant. He's like taller than me. And I'm like six yeah. four
2: and very funny. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes yeah let him a charity do um do have we have any more comments this is the end of the fucking countdown lads yeah. we did another season oh my god I'm looking it forward is... to the
0: shortens yeah. in 2027 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taken yeah. out the
3: top mm. That would yeah. be, oh
1: man, he doesn't That would be
0: so shit. Yeah. 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 But the Shortens
1: is actually a pretty good name for a band. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Wait a minute. Has anyone else noticed that the Shortens sound exactly like the fucking Turnbulls? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 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 Yeah. oh. Yeah. We're going to be
1: political in here. Oh. That was our best I political choice. we the yeah.
0: alternative yeah. yeah. band.
1: Sound pretty mainstream to me, <laughs> mate. <laughs> But great that
2: like second Australian winner in a row. Yes, yeah, very nice. Big two. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie,
1: yeah,
2: hey, yeah. that's good. Mm. It's been a good countdown. Do we have any broad thoughts? What a fun time! <laughs> what a fun, oh, fun what time! A hoot. I think fun- I, I kind of made my point when we we're talking about Jebediah. That I think this has been a countdown of like a lot of. Up and coming and film yeah, like yeah. the, the
0: new era of we've Australian had some laughs, music. We've had some cries. Kind of establishing
1: mm. it itself. And also just like getting across the huge year for music that 1997 was. Yes. Fairly broadly and accurately. Like when you,
0: yeah. It's fascinating to that there are so many giants in this countdown and so many like, what the fuck is this song moments. Yeah. But like,
1: we're, but like we're, we're on the
3: tail end of like your, your Matars being able to get into countdown, yeah, I yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Done. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Making the oldest one hundred
3: less weird. Yeah, it gets less weird from here. Mm. But there are (laughs) some banging tunes in the next year. Oh Oh, man, this is huge. Oh I will say, like
0: a lot of people, you know, when we started this season was just like, Oh, I can't wait for ninety seven, that's my favorite countdown. And I don't agree with that, like, personally, um, but I can appreciate where they're coming from, especially when you look at this top ten, because this top ten is probably the biggest one that we've ever talked about. Yeah, yeah And, definitely. like, songs that have gone on to define an era, you know, like, some of the biggest songs of all time are in this top ten. So, uh, this might be my favourite top ten. Um, mm. Not my favourite top 100, but probably my favourite top 10. Yeah, I think maybe the highs are higher than in other Countdowns. Yes. But, like,
2: even next year, I think, across the board, mm. um, it's pretty incredible. Even just, like, you know, we were talking about the first, the first 10 we'll cover and the bands involved are kind of... Big top 10 magic. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's
1: weird. It's gonna be good. Mm. Hey, one thing we should check off on, and uh, maybe no notice on this, but yeah. champs and chumps. I was mm-hmm. thinking that, champs mm-hmm. and chumps. It's
0: time to end the ever continuing story. <laughs> it is. Well, it's not continuing.
1: We haven't had a sting yet. Do you want a sting? Ooh, too late yes, now. We'll do please. one for next season. All right, yeah. forget it. Yeah. No. <laughs> no sting. Stingless. Damn it. Right.
0: What? No. (laughs) Stoom. Shoggy. All right, bitches, let's sort this shit out. We need to pick our favourites and our least favourites from the top ten. I I think uh, our names can all officially be changed to Sophie at this point, because (laughs) we got some fucking choices to make. I'm going to be ruthless.
3: My fave of the ten was Paranoid Android. My least fave was Beautiful People. But I still do like that song.
1: As if it's not, damn it!
3: Oh, it is, damn it! I forgot what we talk about. Much I <laughs> hate that piece of shit. Yeah, academically, it's damn it. Sorry, Marilyn Manson. I will remove a ribbon, Your Honor. Um,
4: <laughs> um, yeah, my favourite
3: was you um, Andrew. True. Least favourite, damn it. My champ of the countdown, I believe, is going to be Nick Cave into my arms. My chump of the countdown is
1: fucking Baz. <laughs> That's great yeah. song. Yeah. Can I just say Snap? Uh, I also for my favourite and my least favourite for the top ten. Hey. I would like to declare Paranoid Android as my ultimate champ. What mm-hmm. about nice. oh, no, nice. ultimate chump? Well, <laughs> oh, it's Baz. <laughs> I guess <laughs> who had a hand in creating the champ? So, you know... I, <laughs> you know what what you better know that way to illustrate so. the, the true struggle... The, the duality worlds, the, of man. That's <laughs> the eternal
0: struggle. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Alright. By default, um, my least favourite of the ten was Backdoor Man. I love the story, but musically, mm. like, everything else comes way, way before it. And I think my favourite of the top ten... Uh, like as much as I love all these songs, I might have to go. Might have to go with Bittersweet Symphony. If yeah, I'm nice, honest. nice. Mm. Um,
1: it was worth knocking down all those kids.
0: Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but my uh, my carryover champ and winner of the Hottest One Hundred is Prisoner of Society. Well done, good choice. Well done. Um, and carryover chump. Like, I want to say Baz, but, like, we we put up with Beaver Loop for so fucking long. You're going to go back. You're going to renege. You're
4: going to open the loop. (laughs)
0: Like, if we're going overall, like, overall the worst song in the countdown. Yeah. Whoa. uh, I reckon it could be Beaver Loop. Wow. Like. Wow.
4: Wow.
2: (laughs) I thought the loop was closed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think I'll say my favorite of top ten is Paranoid Android. It's very hard to pick over even no yeah i don't know it's like it's difficult Mm. for many reasons but i'm just gonna go with that but my champ will remain louis Badet. academically (laughs) uh my least favorite is beautiful people but uh the chump far away will remain baz yeah hey so that's that for the ten and that's that mm. for the hundred. That's that for the hundred. The that's big one, Season
0: yeah. five, baby. 500 five hundred mm. songs down. Five hundred songs down. Plus, there's, yeah, there's plus, a, plus, six. plus, plus the uh, plus yeah. remix yeah. episodes. I did the math for that. Plus the one hundred that we talked about in the. <laughs> that's true. The that's true. So, so. Pretty sure our hundredth episode was
1: recent, but we missed it. Yeah, and uh, stay tuned for the 1000th episode (laughs) we'll probably forget that too oh (laughs) Um, boy
0: (laughs) Um, before we get out of here let's just do our own credits I want to give a massive thank you to FBI Radio for having us as always absolute legends absolute legends couldn't be a better
1: station in Sydney if you wanted to support uh, FBI as well there's ways to do that check them out on the web as well definitely worth doing it easy and cheap
0: yeah absolutely you win heaps of free tickets to stuff it's great it's sick fbiradio.com thanks to everyone that uh, contributed to our remix episode thanks to everyone that has uh, been uh, supporting the podcast leaving us reviews all that good stuff you know getting amongst the discourse (laughs) it's been uh, very much appreciated Uh, big thanks to Kevin Mitchell uh, for being a part of the podcast as well and having a chat with our boy A Bunch Uh, it was very fucking cool of you really really appreciate Mm -hmm. it it was really cool and uh, yeah we would like to dedicate this season to two alums of the Hottest 100 that are sadly no longer with us Uh, Dolores Aredin from the Craig and Grant Fell from Headless Chickens uh, who sadly both passed away this year and I would like to extend my thanks to the three gentlemen in front of me for once again going along with my crazy idea
1: like We're c- in too deep now <laughs> Some 41 style <laughs> c- Couldn't be happier
3: David Thank you for hosting with your handsome ways And um, listeners as well sincerely Yeah Do leave us a review <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Five stars only. You know the rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, save so, nothing less. Yeah, sa- save your four stars for Come Town or the other weird podcast you probably listen to. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's
0: a podcast. Oh it's yeah, yeah. a real podcast. Yeah. Get yeah. up, um, man. Alright, well, in the interim between Season 5 and Season 6, we're all going on holidays to the Bahamas. So I'm going to uh,
2: grow as a person.
0: Yes, we are really going to grow, and we are going to get some serious suntans. So, uh, guys, the bus is waiting outside, so let's get the fuck out of here, and let's go to our holiday destination. There is a bus outside the window. <laughs> yeah. I fucking called that shit. <laughs> oh, my God. On behalf of Mr. Adam Buncher. See ya. Mr. Andrew McDonald's. Catch you on the forum. Mr. Nathan. <laughs> HARRISON! Thanks. My name is David James Young. Everything is good for you. Peace out, motherfu- Sweet potato, drop that beat!